0: Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever.
1: Okay, so we may have had a little bit of a connection problem at the very beginning. Uh, Jonathan, can you just restate the uh, subject matter?
0: Sure. Can souls cross over on
1: Halloween? So this is about the uh, the day, the night. I mean, tonight is, I, have you had trick-or-treaters come to your house tonight? We
0: have indeed. My wife is down there answering the door while
1: I'm up here okay. in my office. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is Halloween anyway? Is it all about the costumes? Is it all about the candy? Is it all about the parties? Is it all about the social connections of people actually seeing and talking to other people or the excited grade school kid who gets up to dress like a video game hero? Or is Halloween all about the dead? Is it all about communication with the spirit world, fire festivals, and the dark arts? Can dead souls really cross over the boundary of our physical world on this unique night? What's real and what's not? Where did this all start? And what has it become?
2: There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone.
0: Well, that's kind of scary. Wow, that's an oldie.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. That comes from way back, I think, in the early, early, I think 1956, if I remember right, somewhere around there. Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone. And you think about it, and when you think of Halloween, of course you think of spooky things. And when we think of spooky things, the twilight zone inevitably, if you're old enough, comes to mind. So, so one of the questions that, you, that we, we want to look at is, okay, how is this all connected? So, so Jonathan, what, what if I were to tell you that the whole concept... Of the Twilight Zone, we just heard the, the one of the introductions from the, the the series for that back in the nineteen fifties. What if I were to tell you the whole concept of the Twilight Zone had its roots in factual and sociological principles which have existed even longer than the human race what <laughs> really? <laughs> really how, how would you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i am older than you think no <laughs> no a, a, it's this to me doing doing the preparation for for this week's program was very very fascinating journey for me uh this time you know each year we do a a, a program we 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 do a podcast on 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 halloween and sometimes we look at witchcraft sometimes we look at Uh, what the actual Halloween day is all about, and we're going to be touching on that. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at it from a little bit of a different perspective, because there's a lot of pieces to this Halloween puzzle that most of us are just not familiar with. And, you know, we, we played the theme from The Twilight Zone, and that has something to do with it. So if we're looking at this as a puzzle, Jonathan, in our first segment this evening, we're going to look at four different pieces to this puzzle. So the first piece of the puzzle is the twilight zone. Okay. <laughs> all right. Twilight between day and night. Okay. Good. All See, right. You're 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 on to something. All right. The twilight zone. Now now in his introduction he talked about being in between you know consciousness and imagination and all of those things. But twilight. Keep that in mind. Okay. Okay, with that, let's go for the second piece of the puzzle and try to put this whole Halloween approach together. The second piece of the puzzle is the description of God's creative process. Let's look at Genesis chapter one uh, verse uh, verse five, Genesis one verse five.
0: God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning, one day.
1: All right, so the second piece of the puzzle is the description of God's creative process. So what is, I mean, that's a pretty simple thing. Light, darkness. It is,
0: it is. Light and darkness, evening and morning.
1: Yeah. Now you notice that God defined the day starting with the evening. That's right. Because the work of the day is done, and the evening is after the work is done. With, the, with Jewish tradition, when does a new day start? In the evening. That's right, so, at 6 p.m. Right, so evening and morning were the first day. So you've got the second hint to this crossing over thing it has to do with God himself defining day as beginning with evening, just like you said, the twilight
0: zone. And Rick, just one point on the description of God's creative process. Remember, not a literal day, a period of, it's right. really a period of time. And the scripture in 2 Peter 3.8 says, with the Lord one day is, as a thousand years. So we can't get hung up with this 24-hour day God created something. Right, right.
1: And that's, that's, that's a good point. So it was a creative period of time. So yes. the first piece of the puzzle is the twilight zone. Okay? The, the, the old TV show. The second piece, the description of God's creative process. The third piece of the puzzle is the physical groundwork for the whole Halloween thing. And you get the physical groundwork for the whole Halloween thing actually from Scripture. Really? I wouldn't lie to you about that. <laughs> honest. Psalm 104, verses 19 to 24. He
0: made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appointed darkness... And it becomes night, in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how many are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions."
1: All right, so there's several things in in that particular scripture that that come into play here. First of all, it says God made the moon for the seasons. So now you've got the moon, and, and we know that the moon plays an integral role in what happens on the earth, because the moon's gravitational pull controls the tides. And, you know, you've got the the idea of a full moon or, you know, a crescent moon, a new moon, no moon. So so the moon is a very, very important part of this whole thing. It says, you appointed darkness, it becomes night. Uh, And that's when, you know, the the animals come out, if you will. And then in verse 23, it says, man goes forth to his work and his labors until when? Well, uh, until evening. Evening, okay, until the end of the day so with this with with the elements here in in psalm one o four we've got the moon we've got the seasons we've got the light we've got the darkness we've got man working, and we've got evening what's the third what are the what are what are the elements that make up this third piece of the puzzle well Rick, the earth, the seasons and people, and when you think about it, Halloween is based entirely on the earth seasons. And people, it's based entirely on a specific season when certain things happen. And in in the fall, when you get to the um, the, uh, the 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 uh, the time of year where you come to harvest, life is dying, and you're getting ready for the darkness of winter. That's right. There needs to be massive adjustment at that point in time.
0: That's right, preparing so that you can survive the winter.
1: Right, and that's where Halloween got its start, okay? So we're getting a, a sense that as we put the pieces together, there's something very basic that Halloween has has its basis in, and it has to do with twilight, it has to do with evening, the evening in the morning, the beginning of a new day or a new time, and it has to do with the earth and all of the things present. Let's go to a soundbite from... Uh, a- uh, Anglophenia, a- she is a very perky young lady who who does these uh these these news pieces uh she's british and the title of this we got this from youtube is uh, why halloween's really british so she's giving gonna give some history on Halloween, and we really need to put this in perspective, because as we talk about Halloween tonight, the idea is to put it where it belongs, and is it a time when souls can really cross over, or, or is there something else going on here, and we're, we're going to look at that in a minute.
3: It's believed that the origins of what we call Halloween can be traced back to the ancient festival of Samhain, which was celebrated by the Celts on November 1st. Samhain translates into summer's end in Gaelic and marked the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter. The Celts also believed that on the night before Samhain, the veil between the worlds of the dead and the living was at its thinnest and that spirits, queens, and fairies would visit.
1: Okay, she said it really quick, but she really said a lot there. You know, on on Samhain, it's the night where they believe that the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. Well, what does that mean? Well, we'll get into that. Uh, I thought it was supposed to be about the candy. <laughs> well, Jonathan, for you it is, okay? Okay. <laughs> for Dark you it is chocolate all the way. <laughs> yes, and I've got some Halloween candy right here by my side, you know, just in case I do get hungry. So, the fourth piece of the of the puzzle. We we had the twilight zone, okay? We had the description of God's creative creative process as the second piece. The third piece is the earth, the seasons and the people. The fourth piece of the puzzle is the actual roots of the Halloween tradition. So let's do a little reading from neopagan.net to just get a sense of what this is about from the standpoint, from the viewpoint, from the pen, if you will, of an actual pagan who's describing what they do with, actually with, 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 with pride. So let's listen to how they describe it. The
0: ancient Celtic fire festivals. There appear to have been four major holy days celebrated by the paleopagan druids, possibly throughout the Celtic territories, these four major holy days have been referred to as fire festivals, whether in Ireland or India, among the Germans or the Hittites. Sacrificed fires were apparently kindled by the Indo-European paleo-pagans on every important religious occasion.
1: Okay, let's pause there for a second. So there were four major holy days in pagan belief. Now pagan belief is very hard to pin down because it's very regional and, and in whatever region you're in the traditions are very different but okay. they, they all have the same basic threads and they all follow the, the seasons and they all follow the, the patterns of the moon and they all follow the solstices and the equinoxes. So when you have the very longest day and the very shortest night, that's a holiday. When you have the equal Day and night in spring, that's a holiday. When you have the very shortest day and the very longest night, that's a holiday. And then when you have the equinox in the fall, that's another holiday. That's what we're looking at. And when I say holiday, I should be saying holy day from the standpoint of someone uh, who would be pagan. So what we have is this cyclical holy days that come that are marked by the cycles of the moon and the time of day and what happens in the world around you at that particular season that's where samhain comes into play and you know it's interesting because the word samhain is actually spelled S A M H A I N which looks like Sam Hain.
0: yeah it does <laughs> doesn't it
1: so so, so let, let's let's read a little bit more about um about samhain
0: uh, Sam Hain, uh is pronounced samhain and it's often Uh, said to have been the most important of the fire festivals because, according to most Celtic scholars, it may have marked the Celtic New Year.
1: All right. So when you have a new year, it's always important. It's always a new beginning. And the interesting thing was that this Celtic New Year came at a time when the, the, the harvest was over. Okay? So the harvest was kind of the culmination of the old year. You're bringing in the fruits of that year, And then you got to hibernate, essentially, to get through the winter, to get into the new year.
0: Being between seasons of years, Salon was considered a very magical time when the dead walked among the living, and the veils between past, present, and future may be lifted in prophecy and divination.
1: So now we get into the spookier part of what Salon looks like, and, and that is this time when the dead walked among the living. And now, look, you and I have take issue with that to very great extent. We do. And as we unfold this program, we will show you why and how we do take issue with that. But that's what it is. That's what Halloween really, really, truly is. That's not where it got its name. We're going to talk about that. That actually comes from a, a Christian background, believe it or not the name for Halloween. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want to introduce to you now another soundbite which brings us to a different level of understanding. Because we've said, okay, there's a puzzle here. And each part of the puzzle had to do with being in between. So we're going to go to a soundbite from Richard Schenner uh, on defining what's the word liminal. And you think about that. That's not a word that most of us know too well. Listen to this. This is fascinating.
2: Well, liminal is a term uh, first used by Arnold van Gennep, a Belgian folklorist at the turn of the century. He wrote a book which was published in 1908 called Les Rites de Passage, Rites of Passage. And that's a very, you know, it's a term that everybody kind of knows. And in this book he said that uh, rituals, or especially rites of passage, rites which change people's status, have three phases. The uh, separation phase, where a person is taken from their own old status, but also taken from their old place, taken from their old time, their accustomed place and time. You have to do it in a special enclosed place and time. And the liminal period, the, which means limen, like uh, on a door frame, that which is not in this room or in that room, but between rooms. So this in-between time and space.
1: So he's saying this this word liminal actually has to do with passing from one place to another or an, uh, one situation to another. And it's like going through a doorway. Between, between rooms. Right, right. And you're, so you're between phases uh, uh, and, and feelings of your life or situations of your life. You're literally in between. Well, that is actually what this whole Halloween thing is really built on. It's built on the idea of, some, of being in a liminal state. And you say, okay... What does that mean? Well, just hang on.
0: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is Can Souls Cross Over on Halloween? Coming up. Really? Being in between? What does this liminal thing have to do with the human soul? That's next.
4: You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. This is Christian Questions. Our
0: subject for today, can souls cross over on Halloween? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at
1: ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, tonight of all nights, the world really has lost its way. I, you know, the whole Halloween thing is completely lost when you look at. God's perspective on things. It's completely lost. And and it's gone so far down the rabbit hole, you got to wonder about it. Uh, And we'll unfold that as we go. Now, at the end of the last segment, Jonathan, we were talking about being in between. And you're going like, what? What has that got to do with anything? That's right. Liminal, huh? That big word. Liminal is the word for the day. Folks, we want you to understand liminal and what it means and how it applies and how it is scriptural. And how the concept of liminality has been taken to be something that has been completely twisted uh, through satanic thinking. So let's go back to Richard uh, um, Schenekcher. I'm sorry, sir. I'm killing your name, but I don't really mean to. Uh, (laughs) Uh, And he's talking about, again, what it means when, when you are in a liminal state.
2: Where during this in-between time and space, the work of the ritual takes place. In other words, whatever it is that the ritual is going to do in an African or native Australian society, maybe the person is going to be circumcised or tattooed or marked. In our society, maybe they're going to wear a ring or they're uh, going to, let's say, in a long-range liminal space, they're going to go to college and get a degree. Uh, but the work of the liminal period is to change them and it's bounded off from ordinary life college does function that way for us I mean it's supposed to be on a campus separate from regular life you're no longer living with your parents but you're no longer not yet living alone I mean the traditional view of it so you're in between you're really uh, from the point one point of view you're alone and on your own from another point of view you're still parentally protected and the job of education literally is to lead you out that's what it means in Latin to, to lead from one place to another lead you out of one way of thinking to another, and to prepare you for participation in so-called mature or developed
1: social life. So the idea of being in college is a being in a liminal state, and that's a really good example because you think of going through a doorway, going over a threshold. Is you know you're in one one minute you're here, and the next minute you're there.
0: Sure, but that's and, not, and it shows a stage of maturity. It, it has to take place. Uh, to
1: the next step. Right. And so you're not completely on your own because your parents still should, anyway, have a say over, over your life to some degree. And you're in a protected environment of the school. Sort of protected now. I don't know any much, much anymore. But anyway, the, the theory of it is that and you're not out in the real world yet. You don't know what it's like to have to actually fend for yourself, to take care of yourself, to be responsible. But you're supposed to be learning so you can be released into that. It's a liminal time. So, okay, so what? (laughs) So we have many of those transitions in our lives, right? Right. Yes, and that's the key. There are many, many of those types of transitions, and we need to know them and understand them. And look at how the scriptures use that whole concept. We saw God showed us the liminal uh, situation between the creative days the evening, the twilight, when the work of one creative day was done and then the the next day would start afterwards. And again, those were not 24-hour days. That's a different story. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in a liminal period. And again, we're going to use this word over and over again. It began with just Adam. Remember, Adam was created first and then Eve was created. They were in the garden with the named animals. Remember, Adam named all of the animals. Their guidelines were in place and their life together was beginning... Under the blessing of God. So let's just hear how God ad- addresses them and what he says to them. Genesis one twenty seven and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created
0: him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth.
1: Now, Jonathan, a lot of times when we think about this, okay, God created them, and there they are. They're in the garden, and everything is peachy, and probably appley, and strawberry <laughs> and everything else <laughs> And you think, okay, everything's in place, but not really quite yet. It wasn't yet complete. What, 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 what were they missing?
0: What were they missing?
1: Um, Children. Um, oh, oh, that's right. that's right it says be fruitful and multiply they had not yet had children so they had entered into this new situation in the garden and they were getting their feet wet so to speak they were learning about life they were in a liminal period a transition between being created and brand new to getting to the point of actually not only being in control of the garden but in control of a family as well but they weren't there yet so it, they were in a liminal, in an in-between state. They needed, by God's grace, to go through the learning curve and tests of their life responsibilities. So it was important right at the beginning to begin to, to allow the tests to take place. So what happens? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 1 to 5. I'm going to break this up into pieces. Genesis 3, 1 to 5.
0: Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You
1: shall not eat from any tree of the garden? All right, so they're in the garden. The blessing of God has begun, but it has not come to its full fruition yet, right? That's right. Who appears? Well, Satan, Satan appears. Appears. So here's a liminal lesson. We have several liminal lessons from our, our 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 podcast tonight. Liminal lesson number one, Jonathan, is what?
0: Periods or places of transition are where vulnerability
1: is highest. Okay. Now, what does that mean? It means that when you're changing from one thing to another, from one place to another, from one state of being to another. In the midst of that transition, you are the most vulnerable. Well, Rick, for who? For everyone.
0: Are, we're not just talking pagans. We're talking no. not just right. talking Christians. No. Every we're, human being. Every human being.
1: As a matter of fact, and we're not going to get into this, but Satan messed up during a period of transition as well. That's where I think when you look at the scriptures, it was between the creation of the earth and the creation of the world that his mind went bad. That's a different story. Ooh, <laughs> okay, But again, it was at a period where things were changing. And when things change, there's, there's opportunity for all kinds of questions and doubts. And Satan knows that. So when we are in periods of transition or change in our lives, that's when Satan comes after us. We need to be careful. That's right. It's about watchfulness during those liminal periods. So let's go back to what happened in the garden. We all know what happened, but let's read it anyway. Uh, We're in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go to verses 2 and 3.
0: The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die.
1: So Eve is really good about rehearsing, about repeating back... The facts. Right. (laughs) She said, no, 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 can't go there. Can't go there. God said no on that. And so, you know, she she gets it. She understood it from where she had previously been. Now she's in a period of transition. And Satan comes with this new voice and a new suggestion. Verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 3. What does he say? You surely will not
0: die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened
1: and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. All right, so several things happen here. First of all, Satan, this is where he earns his name the father of lies.
0: This be- is the very first lie.
1: That's right. This is the the, the very first lie actually recorded. Re- recorded. Re- the very first lie was Satan lying to himself, saying that ah. I will be <laughs> like the most high. Oh, that's good. Okay? That's true. That's okay. true. All right. But, and, and, you know, we can do that. We can lie to ourselves and get ourselves all fixated on something or other. But if it's not based in, in, in godly principles, too bad it's going to catch up with you sometime or other. But Satan here, this is, you're right. This is the first recorded lie in relation to the human race. And Jonathan, you know what they say? This one is a whopper. <laughs> 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 it's a really big lie. But it's told in a subtle way. We're going to come back to this in the next segment. Um, But what this does is this brings us to, to another liminal lesson. Now, the first liminal lesson, remember, was when we're in periods or places of transition in our own lives, whether you be Christian or anything else, if you're in a period of transition, that's where you're vulnerable. Liminal lesson number two is what? When a new, logical, and alluring voice arises... Okay, now think about that. When a new... Because everybody likes something new. Always, yes. Logical, that, that takes care of that, that logical sense, you know, the, the, the orderly sense of your mind. Mm-hmm. And if the voice is alluring, it's got that emotional draw. If that comes up, something new, ooh, that's exciting. Something logical, Ah, okay, I can follow it. And something alluring, oh, I want to follow it. Now, now, now start, start over because I interrupted you in the middle of trying to get this liminal lesson number two.
0: When a new, logical, and alluring voice arises in contradiction to the voice of God himself, it can easily feel like a voice of progress to bring us to a further
1: enlightenment. It is not. So what happens is it feels one way, but it actually is a different way. That When we are in those periods of transition in our lives, when we are in between, maybe you're going from one job to another. Maybe uh, you're, you're, you're in a position where uh, your, your wife has just had a baby and now you're a new parent. See that, all of these things are, are transitions in our lives. Uh, and when we are in those periods, some that's where these kinds of things can grab us. They can hook us. They can draw us away. And they can allure us to something that is not godly and not scriptural. So, new, logical, and alluring. The way to test it is, does it contradict the voice of God himself? Or, is it exactly, positively in line with the voice of God himself? Because you know what? If it's in line with God himself, go for it.
0: (laughs) But in Eve's case, it was
1: out of harmony with God's ways. But it sounded better at that moment. She was in that transitional state of learning to be responsible in the garden, and this voice sounded better. You think about it. We're talking about this word liminal. You've heard of subliminal advertising. That's right. Okay. Subliminal advertising means advertising that is focused on getting to your subconscious mind without you even knowing it. It makes suggestions that you're not necessarily going to notice and say, oh, I know what that's all about. It's all about working in your subconscious. It's always about food. You always get <laughs> yeah. hungry when someone mentions food. So, so the, the idea is, again, it's at a transition. You know, you're, you're in between that conscious state and that subconscious state. That's where subliminal advertising tries to take root, in the in-between place. We are vulnerable Whether it's in our own minds when we're in between our consciousness and subconsciousness. I mean, have you ever had a dream that seems so real? You wake up and you say, wait a minute, I'm not sure if that really happened or not. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's an in-between sort of thing. And, and, And now your conscious mind is thinking, wait a minute, I know I had that dream. And wait a minute, I know it wasn't real, but boy, oh boy, it sure felt like it was real. So subliminal advertising... Um, you know, take takes takes root in in that in that particular place. Just so want to take a quick minute, Jonathan. We got a, a comment from uh, the Christian Questions mobile app last week, and uh, the the writer Anne from uh, Lakeland, Florida. Her qu- she said, "My question is, can you explain the difference between the Bible sorcery and how it was used against others, and the sorcery that some are using in some of these religious organizations today?" And I think the Bible sorcery she may be talking about was maybe Saul going to the witch of Endor, trying to conjure up Samuel.
0: Mm, That's right.
1: And that was, let me be blunt, that was a heresy in the sight of God. Should not have ever been done, should not have been tolerated. As a matter of fact, it wasn't tolerated. So any sorcery, whether you think it's biblical or not, anything like that has no place for a Christian, period. Period. It's really, really, really that simple. If the Bible talks about it, it, should, it, it, it is in the context of, of condemning it, because there's never a scripture that says, oh yeah, this, was, this, this kind of sorcery is really good. Let's go to another soundbite from Anglophenia about the history of Halloween.
3: By the 7th century, pagan Celts had been successfully converted to Christianity. The church had found that the best way to convert pagans was to come up with a similar, but not quite the same alternative to an already existing calendar celebration. So the Christian All Saints Day was moved to November 1st, which, yep, you guessed it, just happened to be the same day as Samhain. Interestingly, by 1550, Samhain had been absorbed into the Christian festival of All Saints, also known as All Hallows Day. Celebrations retained much of the pagan character, offering both joyful celebration and somber contemplation of death. In fact, the word Halloween itself might sound like it has pagan roots, but the etymology is actually Christian and is a contraction of All Hallows' Eve.
1: Thanks for that, folks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, talk about ruining things. You're talking about exactly. getting getting things off base. That was entirely off base. And you know, the church in the in in those early times did that all the time. And, and the church was wrong. It was dead wrong in doing how that. B- how about thing. this, Rick? Honoring
0: saints. Well, Who knows who the saints are? Only God can choose and read the heart. So we shouldn't be honoring anyone but our Heavenly Father and His Son for His sacrifice. That's
1: right. That's exactly right. What different subject? We'll hold on to that. We'll probably come back to that a little bit. Um, So, Jonathan, let's go to a little bit more detail on what Samhain was all about. This is actually directly from uh, Wikipedia. Samhain is believed to have Celtic pagan origins,
0: and there is evidence it has been an important date since ancient times. It is mentioned in some of the earliest Irish literature, and many important events in Irish mythology happened or begin at Samhain. It was a time when cattle were brought back down from the summer pastures and when the livestock were slaughtered for the winter. As at Beltane, special bonfires were lit. These were deemed to have protective and cleansing powers, and there were rituals involving them. Like Beltane, Samhain was seen as a liminal time, when the boundary between this world
1: and the other world could more
0: easily be
1: crossed. See, it was seen as a liminal time. Wikipedia said that, not us. Um, now, I want to go to another soundbite that, frankly, to me, is, is creepy. Okay, It's creepy because this is the kind of thing we should not even be entertaining, but we need to put it on the table because it has to do with this in-between time and thinking. This is uh, Marvina Meek, helping a spirit move into the light.
5: Hi there, this is Marvina Meek, and I'm the Ghost Queen from Dallas, Texas. Today we're going to talk about how to help a ghost to move on to the other side. Believe it or not, sometimes when a spirit dies, they may have been so traumatized by the death, or they may have fears about what they might find on the other side that they actually don't follow through with the complete transition journey. And when this happens, they... um, are lost like in the astral planes and they're sort of in no man's land. They can't make any progression at all on their soul's path and they're not of any value to themselves or anyone else.
1: That's disturbing. I'm sorry, that's just plain disturbing. We should have, be having nothing to do with the spirit world. We'll get it. I, I want to withhold our comments, Jonathan, because we're running out of time for this segment. So just finish up that reading on a little bit more about Samhain from Wikipedia.
0: This meant the
1: AOC, the
0: spirits or fairies, could more easily come into our world. At Salon it was believed that the AOC needed to be propitiated to ensure that the people and their livestock survived the winter. Offerings of food and drink were left outside for them. The souls of the dead were also thought to revisit their homes, seeking hospitality. Feasts were had and at which the souls of the dead kin were beckoned to attend and pl- place a set at the table for them. So
1: that is what Salen, what Halloween really was about originally.:
0: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is: Can souls cross over on Halloween? Coming up, can we really help a lost soul to cross over? Is that humanly possible? Can any priest or minister? That's next.
4: You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
0: Welcome back. Our subject for today, Ken Souls crossover on Halloween. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24 7 at ChristianQuestions.com.
1: Okay, Jonathan, uh, what's up now?
0: Well, Rick, we invited our very own Julie from CQ Rewind to share on our subject tonight. Welcome, Julie.
6: Hi, good evening, Rick and Jonathan.
0: Good evening.
6: Boy, I'm really enjoying this program, which is surprising for a Halloween program. I don't usually enjoy those. Um, but this new word, liminal, I, I've not thought before about watching carefully my transition period. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the program and, and learning about what we should be doing. Um, but I just wanted to bring up an article that I've recently read. And it's about, of all things, the 1937 movie Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And this is, was an Academy Award winning movie. And what made this special was because it was done in this gothic style. And that was new for the time. It was um, along the lines of Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein. And to the audiences in the 1930s, this was terrifying. And Disney intentionally and purposefully frightened the audience. And it was important because in 1930, both Britain and Italy banned horror movies, banned them. And because Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was a cartoon, it was able to play in its entirety without censorship. And it shocked the audience. And the young people that had grew up with censorship had never experienced this level of terror. And they we, they experienced that in America as well. Okay, so fast forward away from the 1930s to the opening of Disneyland in California in 1955. They created this Snow White ride in Fantasyland But by the 1950s, audiences were becoming more sophisticated, and they were starting to see low-budget monster movies. And that old gothic storytelling style was now quaint, and it was even boring. So Disney had to ramp up the scares in this 1955 ride to capture the audiences who had grown immune to the horror of the 1937 film. And then the ride had to be redesigned again in 1971 when Disney World opened in Florida. And I wanted to just read for you one, uh, just a quick couple of verses from this article. What scared film audiences in 1937 was passe by 1955. And what frightened a generation of original attraction riders was old hat by 1971. Every generation is a bit more sophisticated and a bit more jaded than the one that came before. So now fast forward to now, where it seems like each generation is getting more and more desensitized to murder, torture, pain, and death. And we actually demand this in our entertainment which is odd because I call that the six o'clock news these days. <laughs> it's all real and it's happening around us, but people demand to go further and be more graphic and horrifying to be satisfying, and there's just no line that won't be crossed. What was shocking and unthinkable is now mainstream and in direct um, contradiction to Philippians 4 8, which tells us to think on things that are lovely and noble and pure. And what I personally find to be soul-scarring, my 12-year-old nephew would just call another Tuesday with videos and his movies. So I I, I hate this day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and the buildup of the horror movies lasts two weeks before and lasts probably a month after to, oh, keep, yes. to keep it going. it, it Well,
1: thank you. Yes. Very inspiring. Very yeah. enlightening. Yeah, I, I'm glad you didn't say inspiring. I mean, no, great—the no. <laughs> horror ride of Snow White. Great, that's horrifying. It is. <laughs> well, wasn't wasn't the cat's name Lucifer in that? I'm pretty sure. In, no, it, the
6: little black cat in in um Pinocchio.
1: No, no, in Snow White.
6: Oh, I, I don't know, but that I'm going to Google that right I now. I think
1: it was. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, that's an indicator right there. <laughs> Thanks so much, Julie. Okay, have a good evening. Yeah, you too. Thank you. All right so so Jonathan that that puts things in a in a perspective where we can say okay you know what there's a lot more to this and the idea that horror movies were banned and this was a way to get the horror out really t- it speaks volumes for what we should be on the alert for and that's what we're doing this program for the idea of liminal the idea of being in transition every generation is another transition and we are transitioning further and further away from godliness in our everyday. And, and Julie is right. We become desensitized generation by generation by generation. Let's go back to Richard uh, Shenacher on defining liminal. And he's going to be talking about something interesting that fits right in well with what Julie said. And this is about the rebellious results that can happen from these liminal periods.
2: Now, Victor Turner, a very uh, great uh, theorist of uh, ritual and uh, happily a friend of mine he took Van Gennep's ideas and elaborated them in a series of books and developed the notion of the liminal and what he called the anti-structural work of ritual. In other words, we often think of ritual as enforcing social norms, of uh, uh, continuing that which is uh, conservative. But Turner showed by analyzing Haight-Ashbury, which was the hippie section of San Francisco during the uh, early 60s, and analyzing Ndembu or rights, rights of African uh, people that he lived with in Uganda and others, that ritual can also have a, an anti-structural or a creative process, that it can break down accepted norms. that it can be used in revolutionary rebellious ways. All
1: right, so the idea is that the ritual can, we typically think of it as carrying on tradition, but it can also break tradition. And that's what happens. That's what Halloween really is. It is a breaking of the traditional understanding scripturally of what death is, which we're we're going to be getting into. And this whole thing, the the idea of of the escalating horror is a breaking and a continual breaking of tradition of goodness, of righteousness, and of sound thinking. And incidentally, Jonathan, I was wrong on the cat. The cat named Lucifer was from Cinderella, not from Snow White. Oh, uh, Trish just and, came and and in and wrote now me you that had note. two daughters, so it's okay. You know, we understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, the fascinating thing. Okay, all right, let, let, let's let let's get back to it. Now, the idea here is liminal periods can produce uh, rebellious results. Satan is the father of revolutionary and rebellious ways. He revolted on his own and then sought to get the human race to follow him in that rebellion. He lied and he couched. That lie in a bed of truth. Let's go back. We talked about this already, but go back to Genesis 3. We're going to repeat Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5.
0: The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil.
1: So what was the couch of truth?
0: That their eyes would be opened
1: and they'd be like God, because their understanding would be bigger and it would be more godlike to be that way. So that, how enticing, right? <laughs> and true, how true that was. But what was the lie?
0: That they would not die.
1: And that was an that was a whopper. That was an enormous, enormous lie. And what was Eve's reaction to this? Verses six and seven of Genesis three.
0: When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings.
1: So the truth part of the lie started to reveal itself immediately. Their eyes were opened. They had more knowledge. They were more like God. Have we taken the lie, the we will not die idea, and mainstreamed it? That was the lie of Satan. Have we taken that lie and made it the truth of our day?
0: Well, Rick, even priests and ministers are doing that. Yeah. Where they're, at funerals, they're giving the soul permission to to go to heaven... It's like
1: what? <laughs> really? You have that power? <laughs> <laughs> well, no they don't, but <laughs> but but you know here here's the thing. L- let's go back to let's go back to as as we build the case for the watching out for the liminal experiences, the transitional experiences of our lives. Let's go back to Marvina Meek. This is that that the uh, that that dead person lady who is talking about you know moving souls from this world to the next because they're lost that you know they took a left when they should have taken a right and they don't know what to do. So let's just listen to her next her next piece of, of quote advice unquote.
5: So when this happens it is a special gift to be able to help that spirit to move on to the appropriate astral plane. So what you can do to help them is uh, communicate to them that they are without a body. Sometimes they don't know because they may have died so quick or not have seen it coming at all that they didn't quite know that they're no longer living in a physical body. So you just want to very gently communicate to them that, um, that you don't have a physical body to uh move around in anymore and on the earth we really need a physical body because otherwise it's it's just not the same
1: all right the, 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 everything everything there is is not only a lie jonathan but it's it's also very very dangerous it's very dangerous to see uh, that kind of um, situation happening. Uh, so, do not try communicating. Yeah, yeah. With they, spirits. They just, just don't go there. A whole sector of our society is focused on their perception of this liminal existence, which isn't. Well, so what was the consequence? The full consequence of disobedience for Adam. The disobedience for Adam. Uh, you know who was the father of us all? Let's go to Genesis three seventeen through nineteen. Then
0: to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return.
1: Okay, so what we've got there, Jonathan, is a a real sense of what happens. You, mankind, are going to return to the elements. That's where you came from. That's where you're going. So it's interesting because God, in his uh, dealing with Adam and the curse, laid out life and death for us as they should be understood. And, if you know, we just, most of the time, we just overlook this. We just don't see it for what it is. But it says, you're going to go back to your pre-life state. Well, what was the pre-life state? It was out of the dust of the ground. Dust. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the breath of life. Without the dust. So you're going to go back to the dust of the ground. I'm taking the breath back. You will not exist. That's where you were before. That's it. That's where you're going now, okay? So, it really is an important factor to understand that God creates, in, in, uh, let me restate that. It's, it's not that um, God, uh, he defines, that's what I'm trying to say. God defines life, and God defines death. Death, in God's definition in Genesis, is not a life in a different way. God tells us that death is the absence of life because God himself says you were taken from the dust and when you were taken from the dust, newsflash, you were not alive. That's where you're going back to. So it's a very simple, straightforward thought process. So, uh, Jonathan, as we are talking about um, all of these very odd things and the... uh, uh, you know, the, the satanic view of things. As we go over our next little piece of information, we're going to put some music to the background, and I will confess, I didn't even know what this music was. I had to look it up. But this is the theme for The Walking Dead as we go through our next little section of the program. So folks, do you know what's popular now? The undead. Zombies. Now think about it. Do you know where zombies actually come from? This is a quote from a History Channel documentary. Zombies first appeared in one of the earliest works of literature, The Epic of Gilgamesh. And the quote is, I will raise up the dead and they will eat the living. The dead will outnumber the living. So here we have a fictional story that sows the seeds of a new perception of reality. And so, Jonathan, let's go to Wikipedia and get a little bit more on this story, this, The Epic of Gilgamesh. The
0: story centers on a friendship between Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Enkidu is a wild man created by the gods as Gilgamesh's equal to distract him from the oppressing the people of Uruk. Together they join to the Cedar Mountain to defeat Humbaba, its mantra's guardian. Later they kill the bull of heaven, which is the goddess Ishtar, sends to punish Gilgamesh for spurring her advances. As a punishment for these actions, the gods sentenced Enkidu to death.
1: So now, what were you talking about? Neither one of us really knows. No, we don't. But th- this is a Sumerian tale from long, 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 long ago. And interestingly, it mentions uh, the dead. It mentions the dead as coming to life, raising, being raised up and eating the living. Now, I don't know that it mentions the dead coming to life like zombies, That actually came from a 1950s movie, uh, The Night of the Living Dead. Uh, And and that image has been pushed forward again and again and again in our world. And we have that image as a very, very clear-cut view of what many people now actually believe is true. They believe it's real. Do you know that a few years ago the government, United States government, actually set money aside to, to research, to do zombie research? Really? Yes. No, they didn't oh, no. Okay, just just saying. <laughs> so we you know, and what Julie said at the beginning of the segment really comes around. We have become desensitized and all of these things have now become part of our everyday life.
0: And Rick, it started from that first lie from Satan
1: yes yes it did and now we are in this in between stage it's all about this liminal place this, this liminal place or circumstance plays a significant role in what we perceive to be true and that's really what this is about is what is our perception of what is true and what is not and how do we deal with that and how do we live with that in our everyday lives so folks as we wrap up this hour we're looking at our lives, we're looking at the world around us, we're looking at Halloween through the idea of what it, what liminal means, that transitional state. And what we've seen is that the, the, the paganism has taken the transition of a season and applied it to the transition from life to death, which was a lie. Because death is not life on the other side, death is simply the absence of life. In the second hour, we're going to get into more proof of that from the scriptures. But until then, for Jonathan and Rick, this is Christian Questions. This is a serious subject. Even though we're doing it on a night where our kids are running around looking happy and getting candy, there's a lot more to it. So, be back in about two minutes, but till then, can souls really cross over on Halloween? Really? I don't think so. We'll be back in a few minutes. Till then, think about it.
4: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now, on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
1: Naomi Judd once said, A dead-end street is a good place to turn around. (laughs) <laughs> and when you start to believe in all of this stuff that we've been talking about, it's really a dead-end street. Good evening. Welcome back. I'm Rick. And this is not your typical con- uh, Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And, Jonathan, what's the subject on the table tonight? Well, Rick, our question is, can souls cross over on Halloween?
0: And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 121, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever.
1: And as we go through our discussion on Halloween night about uh, scriptural subjects and looking at the way the world works, we're focusing on the word liminal, which actually means transition, in between. And we can see that... Halloween is built around the idea of, of, of a transition, a, a faulty idea, but of a transition nevertheless. So, Jonathan, um, as we just do a quick review of some of the things from the first hour, I want to put in the background a little music just because, just because. Uh, this is the theme from the original, or one of the original themes from the TV show from the 1950s, The Twilight Zone. So, Jonathan, liminal lesson number one was what? Periods or places of transition are where vulnerability is highest. We need to be really careful when we are in transition. Satan knows that that's where we've sort of begun to let go of one thing, and we need to grasp for something else. And it's in that period that he will come after us. Liminal lesson number two.
0: When a new, logical, and alluring voice arises in contradiction to the voice of God himself, it can easily feel like a voice of Progress to bring us to a further enlightenment, it is not
1: don't be deceived when the voice is not exactly in line with the will of God. It can sound good, it can sound enticing, but it is not something good So there <laughs> <laughs> so those are the two liminal lessons we had from the first hour there's a few more that we 're going to be adding here um, and we've been using um, a, uh, a discussion from Richard uh, Schoenacher on defining liminal and what it means in society and the great, great role that liminality, that transitioning plays in every part of our lives. And the idea of going through liminal periods of time is to be reintegrated into society in a different way, at a different level, uh, so that you can actually progress. So let's go back to um, uh, uh, Richard Schoenacher on defining liminal for that.
2: At any rate, this liminal period is where the work of the ritual takes place. And then at the end of the liminal period, you're reintegrated or re-aggregated into the society, but as a different kind of person. You're either an adult when you were a child, or you're married when you were single, or you're dead when you were alive, or you're a king when you were just the crown prince, what have you. All of these things are the, the work of the ritual, which m- affects that change, the liminal period.
1: And, you know, that, that that's short and sweet. The idea is what happens during that, that period of time, you come out differently at the other end. And, and you think about somebody, Jonathan, which is it's kind of a sad thing, but when somebody is dying and perhaps unconscious... And maybe in a coma. They are in a very serious situation. They are in between life and death. And you don't know. You don't know what's happening and what's going on and you don't know if they can come back to life or if they're just going to simply uh, expire. So these are the kinds of things that we have to be looking out for. Interestingly, Jesus himself had to deal with liminal aspects of life. Really? Well, you know, that's to me when when, when ques- just saying that is like what what <laughs> well yeah because we're saying you know the, the Halloween is a is a gross misrepresentation of luminal experiences but Jesus as a human waited uh, had to wait until he was thirty years of age at the appropriate time and presented himself to be baptized because now he's a man now he's able to go preach but the scripture says that he immediately went away he didn't. Once he came up out of the water, just start his ministry. He went for a liminal period of time, a transition. In the wilderness to fast and pray. Right. Oh, okay. Because it was, okay, my life's work is about to begin. I need to focus my mind and my heart and every ounce of my energy to do exactly what the will of God is. Now, remember, Jesus at that point was given the Spirit of God. Yes. So that human mind of his, his was given a strengthening and an enlightening that he hadn't had before. So this period of time was to let that new enlightenment teach him and show him the scriptures so he knew what to do and how to do it and when to do it and why to do it. So he he was going it was like him going to college. Okay, I'm going away for a short time. I'm gonna
0: 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no water, I'm just gonna, study.
1: Right, <laughs> and I'm going to come back and go to work. He was vulnerable at that point. There was nobody to lean on. There was nobody around. Like you said, no food. So guess who shows up at that time? Satan. Because he always does. When we are in a period of transition in our lives, he's Always going to show up. So let's touch on the the temptations of Jesus from the standpoint of seeing them for what they are in this liminal period, this transitional period, going essentially from boy to man, from or from from man to to uh, begotten teacher and Messiah of God. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter four, verses two to eleven. These are the three temptations. We're going to take them uh, one at a time.
0: And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights. He then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God.
1: So there is one of those three temptations of Jesus in in the wilderness, and he, he was obviously physically weak. Sure he was. God had given him great power in giving him the Spirit. Because we we saw the great power uh, put in play uh, throughout the the next three and a half years of his ministry. And we did see him uh, miraculously feed 4,000 people in one sitting and 5,000 people in another. That's right. So he could do pretty amazing things. Satan sees this and says, Look, you're hungry. You've got a lot of work that you're going to be doing. Strengthen yourself. What's the harm in strengthening yourself? You know, if you're the son of God, you, you, know, you should do a dry run. You should do a test. You should make sure that everything's going to work the way it's supposed to. Help yourself out here so that you can walk out of this wilderness. And of course, I'm adding all of this commentary from Satan. But you know, you, so you can walk out of this situation stronger and better. And Jesus' answer is, no, that's not what I'm here for. You see transition times are ripe for testing how uh, I'm, I'm sorry for testing our physical fortitude. Sometimes transitions you think of somebody going through cancer for instance and that's a that's a very 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 difficult situation to be in. And you're in that position where okay the cancer has been identified and maybe you've gone through surgery and now you're in the transition Of maybe radiation treatments or whatever it is, chemotherapy, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And that's a long transition, isn't it?
0: Oh, definitely. And hard.
1: And it tries your physical ability as well as everything else.
0: That's right. Mental, emotional,
1: spiritual. And Satan is there, right there, to push a little bit harder so that we will get off track and start listening to other voices. We'd love to talk to you.
0: Uh, right now, we're live. Call us at 866 985 for all. That's 866 985 4255 or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com.
1: So, that was the, the first temptation of Jesus in the, uh, in the wilderness. It had to do with his physical fortitude, it had to do with taking care of himself. You know, we're always telling each other, oh, look, you've got to take care of yourself. For Jesus, was he not taking care of himself? Or did he understand that his physical limits could 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 be dealt with at a later time?
0: He could he could deal with it. You know, if he would have succumbed to the the temptation, I would liken it to Moses striking the rock. That's a good that's a good thought. You know, you know out of anger or out of emotion. But Jesus kept his head, kept the the spirit. And said, "I'm not going to do what you just asked me to do because I listen to my father's voice
1: yeah and and you know that that example of of Moses is is a really good example. We're going to come back to that in a couple of minutes. Uh, you know I never put the two together, but that's that that that'll fit actually, I think very well with the the third temptation, so we're going to bring it back. Let's okay. go to the second temptation um after satan comes and and interestingly, Jesus answers Satan not with his own thought and his own reasoning, but with scripture. And that's an important aspect.
0: Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the
1: Lord, your God, to the test. So Satan is pretty smart. He's pretty wise. And when we are in that transitional time, now Jesus has gone away to fast and to pray and to learn and to focus so he can do the will of God and the will of God only. And uh, so Satan says, well, look, you quoted scripture to me last time. I can quote scripture to you. I know the scriptures just like you do. And it says, doesn't the scripture say? He'll command that his angels concerning you, and on his hands they'll bear you up. You won't get hurt. That's a promise. So so
0: what, what's the lesson? Don't take scriptures out of context. Yes. Jesus didn't.
1: <laughs> right. Well, you know, and, and it's interesting because uh, just because someone quotes a scripture doesn't mean that they have the authority of scripture behind them. And that is what Jesus brings to the fore here. Because he's saying, on the other hand, put it in context. You should not be looking to put God to the test. See, transition times are ripe for testing how and to whom we apply our own faith and trust. Jesus could have chosen to say, yeah, well, you know, the Scripture does say that. And I, and God will rescue me, so yeah, I can do that. And it'll be a great example. People will see, you know, and that's what that's what Satan was after. Look, you know, people are going to see, and it's like, you know... I mean, who else could do this? You know, it's like doing a magic trick, and everybody going, "Ooh and ah!" That's not the way Jesus op- was to operate. So he rose above that, and he just said, "Look, I have my my faith not in a scriptural phrase, but in what all of the scriptures mean as they are taken as a unit together." But transitional times are ripe for testing that, and it's so easy to take that phrase out of context and use it as our weapon to do this that or the other thing and that's just not not the, the way it ought to be now remember Jesus is in a liminal, a transitional stage of his life going from man to, to, to begotten Messiah and he's trying to put himself in a position he's putting himself in a position to know how to do that and Satan is desperately working that's short-circuiting that that, uh, that that growth. So let's go to the third temptation as uh, explained in Matthew 4. And it's interesting, Jonathan, one of the other books, these two temptations are reversed in order. I don't know what order they happened in. doesn't really matter. But it's the third one as far as Matthew goes. So Matthew 4, verses 8 through 11.
0: Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him.
1: So you have Jesus coming through victoriously because it was about the transition time. A Transition time is right for testing our deepest loyalty. Satan was saying, Look, just bow down to me and I'll just give you everything that you're going to have to die for. Why die for it? I'll just give it to you. And Jesus' answer was, no, absolutely not. That's not what I came to do.
0: And how did Moses striking the rock jump out at you at this third temptation?
1: Because Moses' reaction to the people was, do we have to do everything for you? It wasn't God said to do it this way. Moses started to take credit for what God was working through him as though he was doing it. And that's where he went wrong. And that's where Jesus went right. So... Liminal lesson number three, Jonathan, is what? The written word of God, taken in its
0: proper context, will, if we let it, repel repel any voice, any quotation, and any power that would derail us from our purpose. To claim this protection, we must know the word as well, as we can so that our vulnerability becomes a springboard to victory.
1: So, during times of transition, relying on the Word of God as the whole Word of God, as best as we can, is such an important thing. Let's go back to, unfortunately, let's go back to Marvina Meek, the, uh, the lady who's trying to help spirits move from one life to another. And it's and look, she's dealing with demons. That She's not dealing with human beings. It's demons that she's dealing with. And there's nothing but danger involved in these kinds of things. Nothing but danger and evil.
5: The uh, first thing that I do whenever I start to uh, assist the spirit to, to cross over is if it's in my home, then, um, then I would just communicate to them that I'd like to help them to um, move to the astral planes that are an appropriate place for them to live now in their astral body. And I call in their Most Holy Guardian Angel and I call all of their spirit guides. Just mentally send out a voice that you'd like for them to come and to be present. And I call my Most Holy Guardian Angel and I also call my my spirit guides and my angels.
1: So you see, Jonathan, what they do is they mix scriptural truth, and they sprinkle that scriptural truth in with all of these lies and all of this fabrication, and it sounds good. Oh, holy guardian angels, yeah, that sounds like something in the Bible. Yeah, it is, but not for you, not for that. This this is wrong. This is a wrong application, because death is death, uh, you know. Let's go to a couple of scriptures on that because we really haven't done any proving on that. we're We're a little shy on time here, but let's go to Ecclesiastes nine five For the
0: living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward for the memory of them is forgotten.
1: All right, let's go to Psalm chapter six, verse five.
0: For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks?
1: And why do they say it that way? Because that's the way God described death to Adam. From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Psalm 115, verse 17.
0: The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence.
1: So, Jonathan, th- this is one of the most important things for us to understand, is when we think we're dealing with, with, with the spirits of, the disembodied spirits of human beings, No, you're not. What you're dealing with is death. What you're dealing with is demons, fallen spirits that are not out for anything good.
0: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our episode is, Can Souls Crossover on Halloween? Coming up, how does God show us protection at times of transition? That's next.
4: You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan.
0: Welcome back. Our subject for today's episode is Ken Souls crossover on Halloween. We're live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all or you can message us on your app wherever you go on the planet listen to our episodes and interact with us on the christian questions app download now in your google or app store
1: lots of ways to get a hold of us and to uh, stay in touch and we really do love to hear from you and uh, your feedback uh, is, is, is really important and it helps us to put these programs together so keep that up we appreciate it uh, jonathan we're talking about liminal times transitional times Halloween is built around the transition between the fall and the winter at the end of harvest and it's built on this idea, this fictitious fictional idea that souls can cross over from, dead, from, from the world of the dead to the living at that point in time. And of course we know that's not true because when you're dead you don't exist. So w- then what happens? What do people see? What do people hear from?
0: Demons. And Rick, what's the purpose of resurrection if someone really didn't die?
1: Yeah, well, that's true, and and you know that's another whole different subject that we'll have to get into. And and there's glory in that. You know, there's glory in the fact that death exists because Jesus brought us life afterwards. And the gloriousness of resurrection from death to life is an amazing, amazing thing to to behold. So let's go back to Richard Schechner on defining liminal. And remember, he's talking about all different ways that it can happen. And here he's going to introduce the idea of subversive outcomes. And of course, we really have been talking about that with this whole Halloween discussion uh, this evening.
2: Also Durkheim, Emil Durkheim, who also had a, a kind of constitutive or uh, a conservative view of the functions of ritual. So Turner didn't deny those, but said that there's a whole other part where illicit, subversive, subjunctive behaviors are allowed and encouraged and where the persons are are, are, can critique the dominant social discourse and he said that when this occurs in developed uh, uh, industrial societies, and they should be called liminoid rather than liminal. Like liminal, but not exactly like liminal. And he included in these the genres of arts, uh, theater, dance, music, which he called liminoid phenomena. They are related to liminal phenomena. There may be even elaborations of things performed during the liminal phase in earlier cultures, but now they take on their own life and they can be cr- critical.
1: So, the idea is that, you know, art can be a, a um, it, it can create a subversive reaction or it can create a traditional reaction or a thought provoking reaction. The thing is that all of those end results are possible and we have to be really clear and really understanding of what it is we are holding on to, what it is we are listening to in those periods of transition uh, for ourselves. Because subversive behavior, is an attractive default for imperfect humanity. Each time there was a new king in Israel, there was a new transition. And that, you know that's why God said no kings. He knew all of that. But each time they had a new king, there was a new transition, a new doorway to go through that meant new vulnerability. And some of these kings, Jonathan, they came into power and they were deeply, darkly evil. King Manasseh, started his reign at just 12 years old. But listen, folks, listen to the darkness that he brought to Israel. This is almost incomprehensible to me. Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 6.
0: Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Okay, so he reigned a long time. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the... Ad- abominations of the nation whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel.
1: So, in other words, there were, there were those that that had been, been pushed out of the land. He took the evil of them and he brought it back to the land.
0: For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made Asherah. And worshiped all the hosts of heaven
1: and served them. And and Jonathan, another time we will go through what it means to have these high places and these altars and these ashram. These are all very highly, deeply, darkly pagan rituals that were performed within the land. And, you know, the evidences were left behind and they were told, get rid of it all. And he just brought it all back. And he said, this is kind of fun. This is subversive behavior in the sight of God.
0: He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord.
1: So he took the house of the Lord and he polluted that too.
0: He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. So
1: he even sacrificed his own sons
0: to death yes in fire yes unbelievable
1: and and there's more
0: and he practiced witchcraft used divination practiced sorcery and dealt with mediums and spiritists he did much evil in the sight of the lord provoking him to anger
1: and you you look at that and this is a, a wonderful scripture even though it's very very dark and deadly because it helps us to see How much of the things that are so mainstream for us today that we become so desensitized to are so evil in the sight of God? Paganism and its practices hold very obvious attraction. And there are several kings of Israel, Saul, Manasseh, and even the formerly wise Solomon who all obliterated the sanctity of worshiping God by allowing paganism as a foothold in their nation. Now notice the trend. Wherever there's an allowance for unfettered behavior, things always become darker. That's what happened to the Old Testament and Jonathan, that's what happens today in our world.
0: History repeats itself, Rick.
1: The passage of time plus the entertaining idolatry equals the destruction of life. You know, it's interesting. Paganism is very a very obvious attraction. And you know why it's an obvious attraction? Because why? it's worshiping things that you can actually see and touch. It's worshiping the physical earth, the world, the trees, the rocks, the rivers. People it's worshiping those things that you can actually touch and see, and the sun. So it gives you something tangible, and that's very, very attractive. But it's very, very wrong, because you don't worship the created, you worship just the Creator. That brings us to liminal lesson number four.
0: Know and rehearse what history has proven again and again. When change is before us, we need the unwavering truths of life as the foundation for our decisions
1: and you know that's something that Manasseh really should have known he uh, he really should have seen he really should have understood he really should have thought about and you know when you think about that we need those unwavering truths of life to go back to and say is what I'm doing is what I'm thinking is where I'm going congruent with those foundational truths we welcome
0: all comments or questions even if you disagree with us give us a call we're live at 866 985 for all that's 866
1: so jonathan in, in going to those unwavering truths of life let's go to the context of our theme scripture our theme scripture was psalm 121 verses seven and eight well let's go to psalm chapter 121 verses one through eight
0: i will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to slip. He will keep. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going
1: out and your coming in. From this time forth and forever. So, when you hear that psalm, when you hear that psalm, when you hear what's going on, what's happening in that psalm, it's saying, Look up. Look to what you already know to be true. Look to what's sound. Look to what's strong. Look to what's solid. We look to what's always been there from a scriptural perspective. Now, look, paganism's been around for a long, long, long time. In the first hour, when we were talking about zombies and the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, that's, a, that's an ancient ancient story, but it's something that we really need to um, put into the perspective of if we turn our hearts to, cre- to the Creator, we can always be guarded. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions.
7: Hey, good evening, uh, Rick and Jonathan. Thank you. I missed you last week.
1: Well, we missed you too. <laughs>
7: Well, when you were on uh, on the uh, air, when you were doing the program, I was on my way back from uh, Los Angeles. We're driving back from the airport from Boston. But anyway, uh, good to be back. And uh, what a uh, a challenging, another challenging uh, topic. You're not afraid to tackle them, are you?
1: Uh, We try not to be.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know... uh, Google says there are 4,200. That's 4,200 religions, different religions in this world. Isn't that mind-boggling?
1: There's a lot of them,
7: and uh, I think you know that. Uh, no doubt about it. The master of confusion is Satan. And uh, two Corinthians uh, eleven fourteen, you know, he can appear, you know, in different uh, uh, ways to different people to to misguide, to misrepresent, to confuse. So uh, the uh, the uh, there's a saying that uh, to learn what is good, ninety nine years are not long enough. That's to learn what is good. I like this saying. I think it's so powerful. To learn what is good, 99 years, are long enough. To learn what is evil, one hour is too long.
0: <laughs> yep, you're right.
7: That's the confusion, you know, that we see in this troubled world because uh, he is the God of this world. Uh I, on this uh, issue of uh, transition, I like to show you one scripture. With you, you know, th- those who are truly seeking clarity and seeking God's ways and knowledge, etc. I love that uh, scripture in Isaiah 30. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Uh, and you shall come to the, uh, you know, the, the the cross of the road. Say, let me let me see here what. Uh, And thine ears shall hear hear a voice behind you saying, uh, this is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand or when you turn to the left, there is your guidance. God's word is our light and guidance, and it leads to clarity and uh, end of confusion. God bless. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your thoughts. Well put. Have a good night. Thank
7: you.
1: Take care. And, and, you know, that was a really good scripture for him to end on, because it really does put things into a clear space. Uh, Go back to God's word, because Satan is the author of confusion. And he wants us to be confused, because then he can put us in... Look, when, When you're confused, it's liminal. You're in a transition. You're not sure where you're grasping, what's real, what's not. And that's where he excels. So, Julius, thanks for that scripture and those thoughts. Uh, Satan is the god of confusion, and we need to be clear in what it is that we understand. Speaking of the god of confusion, let's go to this Marva Marvina Meek, this, this lady who just insists on thinking that she is helping these lost souls find their way to some other plane of life. And again, folks, we're 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 playing this because it is so contrary, so totally contrary to the things that we believe are true. And you need to realize these things are out there and they are real in the minds of many. This is not a drill. This is not a hey, you know what? You you. you Do you ever wonder if this would ever happen? This is happening, and we should be really concerned about it.
5: Then I just try to center myself. And get very grounded and just come from a heart place. Um, visualize, and I always like to visualize up like at a 45 degree angle. Visualize like a, a beautiful door that's filled with white light. And either talking to yourself or out loud, you can just um, communicate to that spirit that um, this is an appropriate to move on into the light, and that it's very safe. That um, I also like to tell them that um, they're not going to be punished. And I don't believe in hell, so I tell them there's no hell if you were worried about um, uh, not going to heaven. And, and so I relay that to them. And then I mentally just see them moving into the light.
1: Great okay, and you know Jonathan here's the thing that that really frustrates me about this kind of thing is that you know the idea that well, because I visualize a beautiful door in white light doesn't mean that they're there, those things that you visualize are in your own imagination, and somehow what she's saying is our imagination comes true, so this lost soul that doesn't even really exist can go to some place that's all nice and high you know and and fine and comfortable, none of it is sensible from the standpoint of what we know to be true. And these are the things, folks, that we need to not just walk away from. We need to run away from these. Uh, Jonathan, let's go back to another text that verifies all we've been saying about life and death and so forth. Uh, But it's also a prophecy of the grace of Jesus. Psalm 49, verses 5 uh, through 15. Actually, uh, 5 through um, 9. Sorry.
0: Why should I fear in days of adversity... When the iniquity of my foes surrounds me, even those who trust in their wealth and boast in their abundance of their riches, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he shall should cease trying forever, that he should live on eternity that he should not undergo decay.
1: So it's interesting. Why should I fear in the days of adversity, when the iniquity of my foes is greater than I am? I'm I'm overwhelmed. And sometimes we feel like that in this world. And it says even those who trust in their wealth and boast to how strong and powerful they are, they can't redeem the souls, the lives of their brother, because it's too expensive. Only Jesus could do that, and that's part of the prophecy that Jesus is given here. They can try and try and pay all their money, but it's not going to work. The ransom of Jesus is what brings people from the dead to life. The foes of the righteous are subject to death and and decay. That's just the way it goes. That's just the way it is. Romans 5.12, another simple scripture that helps us understand life is life and death is death.
0: Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned.
1: Okay, it's <laughs> pretty simple. And again, death was defined in Genesis by God to Adam is, as part of the penalty. And it's you're returning to the dust from whence you came. You were not alive before I started. And when you die, you will not be alive at that point either.
0: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our episode, Can Souls Crossover on Halloween? Coming up, as this world crumbles all around us, what should we be especially protecting ourselves from? That's next.
4: I feel You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today's
0: episode is Ken Souls crossover on Halloween. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985 for all. Or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at ChristianQuestions.com. P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320.
1: And we want you to keep that communication coming because it really is very, very valuable to us. Uh, Jonathan, in our final segment here, we want to really focus on what we need to be doing in, in terms of protecting ourselves. You know, Halloween has become a day where it's about kids and about parties. And like you said earlier, about candy. And, yes. And, you know, and if it's dark chocolate, I'm in. Me uh, too. But – and, and – you know, part of that, you look at that and say, okay, there can be a relative harmlessness to some of that. But we have to be awfully careful because the, 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 the core, the, the, the origin of these things come from something that is really deep and dark. And
0: Rick, I think one of the main things that we need to remember on this program is readiness for Satan to creep in and watchfulness uh, in any periods of
1: transition
0: in our Christian walk.
1: And we are loaded with periods of transition in our, in our Christian world. And, and, and here's the thing. Our world has become one oversized doorway of transition because if you notice, society is continually changing it's continually saying okay that language is no longer acceptable this language is what you have to the kind of language you have to use that behavior is no longer acceptable you have to behave this way each time you do that you create a time of transition and for the christian first of all we shouldn't be following along with all those things no we shouldn't but it tests our minds in terms of transitioning them and it tests our faith, and that's why you said watchfulness is a very, very key word. Uh, the pattern of godlessness always produces the same results, and now it is very much accelerated. If we look at Second Timothy chapter three verses one to four, you realize that this is about the last days. In the verse, when you hear the things in this verse, Jonathan, you look at that and say, "Wow, this is the way. This is what. This is our headline every single day." Listen to this.
0: But realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God.
1: Welcome to the year 2016. Wow. That is us if I've ever seen it. All of this can be summed up as idolatry. Paganism is deeply rooted in the worship of self and the rituals and beliefs and the Halloween season and all of this are all tied together.
0: And Rick, see how it's influenced churchianity through their false rituals and traditions and evil beliefs. It's just infiltrating all of society.
1: And, and and if you remember when we were talking about the history of Halloween, Halloween got its name through through Christianity. Through I can't see it as true Christianity, but through Christianity through the label of Christianity. You know, All Hallows Eve. That's what it was. It was the evening before All Saints Day or All Souls Day or something. It just it just, it just it's it's all wrong. It just doesn't fit. One last time, let's go to our, our, our example of what not to do, what not to be, what not to think. And this is real. These, these are the kinds of things that people actually focus on.
5: If you find that you have a spirit situation that um, can't really be handled in a simple way and you need to have professional help, there are other people like myself who can lend you a hand uh, sometimes they call it
1: soul-clearing, and uh, but I guess it's just another way of saying ghost-busting. Okay, another way of saying ghost-busting. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, we're, we're going to come back to that in a minute, <laughs> all right? But wh- what about this idea of spirit guides and spirit twins? I mean, you think, well, where do they get the idea of spirit guides and spirit twins and all that? Look, Satan and his followers are presently, according to Scripture, in a position of great... Power and influence. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen to 15
0: And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works.
1: They sound good, they look good, they sound bright, they look bright. But if the spirit guides are not from God, and these are not then only, that only leaves one other very uncomfortable option. They are from the Father of Darkness. And you don't, you don't want to mess around with that. Jonathan, I want to take a moment and I want to play a theme from a movie that I'm sure everybody listening is going to recognize. I'm going to play about a half a minute, but we want to make a point with this. And, and even though this might be kind of light and fun for the moment, it makes a very serious and very sober point. Everybody knows that, right? They do. All right. And and so, you know, why why do we play the theme or part of the theme from Ghostbusters? Because, first of all, Marvina Meek, this lady who's insisting that she's moving spirits into the light, which she is not, but she talked about it as ghost-busting. In other words, taking these disembodied beings and putting them where they belong. She was calling that ghost-busting. The movie Ghostbusters was about that very thing. So, What they do is they take a sinister, dark thought, and they make it mainstream, and then they make it fun, and then they make it into a a movie that you laugh at because it's a comedy. And what do you end up with?
0: How deceptive, Rick.
1: You end up desensitized to something that is dark. That's what you end up with, and we really, really need to be clear about that. So to, to, to bring this to a wrap-up here for, for tonight, Jonathan, three simple things to keep us alert as Christians. The first one is know the sources of your belief. You really need to understand the thus saith the Lord in the context of the, the, the whole of the book. Of Scripture, not and that's just,
0: what that's what Julius was breaking out in yes. his comments. Yeah,
1: exactly. First uh, John uh, chapter one, verses uh, one through eight, uh, verses five through eight. I'm sorry.
0: This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us.
1: So it's interesting. This scripture, Jonathan, is a very, um, very plain statement, and it's a very plain statement of diametrically opposed opposites. It's saying God is light. And in Him there is not a trace of any darkness. And then it says, if we say that we have fellowship with God, but are walking in darkness, then we are lying and not practicing the truth. And the interesting thing about that is, again, I want to I want to go back to we're not going to play another soundbite, but Marvina Meek, this woman who's who's trying to 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 save these disembodied uh, souls that that she thinks she she's affecting. They In in her commentary, remember, she was mixing in scriptural principles, guardian angels. And she's taking scriptural principles and she's addressing, she's mixing them in and saying, look, I'm just bringing them to a place where there's great light. No, you're not. That's just your imagination. That's all it is. It's in your head. And it's when Satan poses as an angel of light and you fall for it, You may think that you are walking toward the light, but this scripture is telling you that you're walking in darkness. We need to really know the source of what we believe and not be afraid to make a change if what we believe, in fact, is showing us and guiding us and bringing us in the wrong direction. So, very, very important. Know the sources of your own belief and put the scriptures in context. Jonathan, this next point, point number two, to me, going back to that whole liminal discussion that we've had, mm-hmm. this is just powerful and sensational and utterly comforting to me. And, and again, this, this was one of those, those moments where once I learned about liminal, this is one of the scriptures that, that popped into my head and thought, could it be? And as we looked at it and we, we, we laid it out, it's like, Wow. Look at, look, at, look at how well we are protected. You don't even know what we're going to say yet. But <laughs> <laughs> so point number two, know that if you truly are following Christ, you are protected. We have that as a promise. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 to 24. And I'm going to probably interrupt you a few times in this.
0: Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take it and a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts.
1: Okay, pause right there. So the Passover lamb, you take and apply the Passover lamb's blood, and where do you put it?
0: On the lintel and the two doorposts.
1: Now what's a
0: lintel? The lintel is in the... It's the top of the the doorway. Right.
1: So you are actually lining the entranceway to and from your house. That's right. God could have said, put the blood of the lamb on the outside of your house. Or put it on the doormat. They didn't have a doormat, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Sure I do. (laughs) Okay. But he said, put it around the entrance of your house. And the lintel and that entrance is is signifies a time of transition
0: from outside to inside
1: right so just let, let let's let that sink in and now let, let's go through the rest of the scripture
0: and none of you shall go outside the door of the, his house until the morning for the lord will pass through to smite the egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts the lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever.
1: So when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, it says the Lord will pass over. It doesn't say your house. He says it will pass over the door. Because the door, the transitions of our lives is where we are most tested. And I think one of the, one of the factors of the scripture is saying that, look, you can be protected and you're going in and you're coming out in all the times when life changes because the blood of Jesus surrounds those transitions. You just have to believe it and pass through that blood. That so is awesome. It, it is incredible <laughs> to me. I love that. It, it's just a, it, the liminal experience is scripturally protected. And I think that's something we have to just walk away with. What's liminal lesson number five?
0: Claim the protective, protection of the shed blood of Christ posted over all of the transitions in your life.
1: So think about it, Jonathan. Each time our life changes, you think about it, create that mental image of going through a doorway. You know, you're going through a doorway from one experience to another. And we do that all the time in life. There's some little transitions and there's some really, really big ones. Some transitions take a minute, some transitions take an hour, a week, or a month, some transitions take years. But each time and each way Think about it that the the, the doorposts and the lintel of our transition times are always protected by the blood of Jesus. Point number three, Jonathan, continually reassess the purity of your intentions and your heart. And as I think we say more than anything else, always remain humble. 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8 Your
0: boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with a leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth.
1: So the third point, again, continually reassess the purity of your intentions in your heart and remain humble
0: Enric Levin pictures sin, yes, avoid sin, be holy, be pure, follow in jesus' footsteps
1: and, and, and the thing about that is it's just like look, you know all about cleaning mm-hmm. your nickname from, Mr. Clean. from way back is Mr. <laughs> Clean. How is it that somebody who knows so much about cleaning always seems to find dirt where you think you just cleaned? What happens with that? <laughs>
0: Good question.
1: It comes back, right? It does indeed. <laughs> and you especially, it really aggravates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but see, here's the thing about that. Leaven, sin, is the same way. It always finds its way back into what we say or what we do, especially what we think and especially what we feel. That's right. And so if you have the feeling that is represented by sin, like you said, leaven, sin. And you allow that feeling, because leaven, what does it do? Is It expands, right? And it grows. Oh, it does, yes. So if you allow it to expand and grow and take root, then all of a sudden you've got much, much more to clean out. So that's why we say the scripture is really telling us to continually reassess the purity of our intentions. Because leaven happens in life. It just does it comes back and we can do everything we wanted to to purge it out but it's just going to keep coming back again and again for the rest of our earthly days
0: and that's why we need to focus on god's word be surrounded with those of like precious faith and have a full prayer life to keep our focus with our heavenly father
1: you know and and that, that that's a really really important point you know that that the prayer life is what what that does is it takes our efforts and our trying, and, and, our, and our determination, and our discipline, and it says, it's like a little kid. I'm trying as hard as I can, but I can't do it. Can you help me, Dad? And when we reach up, and we are trying as hard as we can, and we can't do it, even if we fall down in that effort, God takes that as an effort for good, an effort for growth, an effort for our character, and says, I know, you're, 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 you fell. Let me help you get up. And we
0: can always build more strength from our failures in life and look back and and just move forward and and higher, uh, a stepping stone closer to the Lord.
1: So as we wrap this up tonight, the key is realizing the depth of the degradation of the demonism that surrounds us in our world. Halloween is a great example of that. Unfortunately, I know everybody, you know, you have a lot of fun and all that just understand where it comes from just understand its origins it's about death and dying it's about a a veil between this world and that when that world doesn't even exist and I'm telling you if that world does not even exist and you're looking to, to see what's on the other side what you're finding is not what you are expecting to find what you're finding are the minions of Satan Where you think you're going to find your dead grandfather? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what you're finding. You're finding the minions of Satan that are posing in such a way so you can be deceived and eventually damaged. Don't go down that road. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us tonight. I don't know if you enjoyed this or not, but just remember, in the transitions of your life, remember that we are protected by the blood of Christ as long as we are faithful to it. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, can souls cross over on Halloween? No. No. Not even remotely close. What we can cross over on Halloween is say thank God the next day comes and get on with our Christian lives. Till next week, think about it.